please turn with me to Acts chapter 16. I'll be reading from verses 11 to 34. From Troas, we put out to the sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought before them the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Brian, one of the pastors here. And if this is your first time here, I want to say how glad we are that you're here with us, joining us in worship. And um, if this is your first time here, um, as you may have heard, it's exciting. It's an exciting day for a lot of us. Uh, for Metro Church, we're going to be launching a brand new site in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, starting next week. For the gospel that we proclaim here at East Falls is not an exclusive gospel. 
is not just bound to any particular location, but we believe that the gospel preached here in East Falls is an explicit gospel that is meant for every single person in every single city. For the gospel in itself, it has no bounds. See, as you draw closer to the gospel, meaning you truly love Jesus more and more and you're intaking his truth through scripture and it's starting to shape you to uh, love Jesus more and more, in the same way, it should draw you to the clo- closer to the mission of Jesus. That as you love Jesus more and more, it should draw you to the mission of loving our neighbors, our co-workers. And one practical way of doing so is this notion of planting brand new sites in brand new cities for very brand new opportunities. It's the reason why we're doing what we're doing right now. Believe me when I tell you that it would have been easier for us to just stay here at East Falls and not go across the bridge for a 4 p.m. service. But God, he doesn't call us to what is necessarily easy. He calls us to make disciples of all nations. And in our passage today, it ultimately accounts for the ministry that is happening in Philippi. It's a very large city, just like Philadelphia, just like Cherry Hill. In our passage today, we have Philippi. It was filled with thousands of people of different religions, social economical backgrounds and cultures. And what Luke is going to do through the city of Philippi, he's going to show us why cities like Philadelphia and why cities like Cherry Hill need this very gospel. And for our time right now, we're going to see specifically through three different case studies of lives transformed by the gospel. In our passage, we're going to see the narrative of Lydia, the narrative of the female slave, and finally the jailer. We're going to look at three different people, three different narratives, yet one common hope. Meet me at verse 14. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. Now here, we're first introduced to someone named Lydia. Lydia, this woman, she has been named after the area she came from, which was famous for its purple dye and textiles. Purple cloths in uh, Roman times, it was meant for the wealthy. It was meant for the royal. And Lydia was a dealer in purple cloths. What that tells us is that she was a person of some status, not only because of this fact, but secondly, she was named Lydia. Why is this kind of an important note? Well, in the Roman settings, it was more normal for women not to be mentioned by name in public unless they were actually of significance, meaning this woman, Lydia, she had a very high status in the world. In other words, Lydia, she was wealthy, She was successful. She was just a really big-time businesswoman, if you will. I mean, if you kind of look in the the city of Philadelphia, and she she was in Philly right now, if I had to contextualize this, she was probably in Rittenhouse Square, had a couple of condos. She was a CEO of a reputable clothing brand. Are you tracking with me? But here, what do we see? 
is that in the same verse, yes, she was a successful businesswoman, but Luke also mentions that she was a worshiper of God. Now, when we see worshiper of God, this was a very specific technical term, meaning she was likely attached to the Jewish community as a worshiper of God. What does that mean? It means that she lived very religiously. From Monday to Friday, she's putting her 80 hours of work in, but on Sunday, she's going to synagogue to worship God. On top of that, she was probably a really good citizen and a really good neighbor, so on Saturday morning, she's helping out at the soup kitchens. She was a good, righteous, very religious person. But it gets interesting because in the same verse as Luke is describing who Lydia is, what does Luke say? That the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. This is important because in verse 14, yes, she was a worshiper of God. She was religious. She was upright. She was good. But then the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. In other words, she was a worshiper in the most legal term, in the most, legal, you know, in the most basic legal terms. But it was then the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Why is this so important? Because even though Lydia was religious, she actually never heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ until now. It was here, Lydia, for the very first time, after what I would assume maybe decades of being a churchgoer, she now just heard the sweet music of the gospel. And this tells us something very important about who the gospel is for. See, we assume often that the gospel is only meant for the irreligious. We always assume that the gospel is only meant for the outcasts and the hedonists, the bad guys. But what the, the narrative of Lydia tells us is that the gospel is also, if not more, meant for the self-righteous, the proud, and the religious. Now, what do I mean by religious? Religious people ultimately make moral obedience as a means of salvation. And because of this, when, you say that, when I say that you're religious, right, you tend to become very proud. You become snobby about your obedience. You're boastful about your self-righteousness. You're prideful uh, in your religious zeal. And what Luke is saying is that, you know, when you're religious, what Christianity says is when you're religious, when you're living this way, you're ultimately missing the mark of what the gospel truly is. For when you're religious, your faith is merely just a transactional relationship with God. You're doing things just to get not necessarily God, but for the things that God offers. You ultimately look at God as your boss and not as what scripture says who God is, a father. And what are our tendencies with an unapproachable boss? We all know this. We all know what it feels like. We overwork with a lack of joy. How often are we uh, consistent in our anxiety? We're always worried about our job security. We're always worried about our boss and if he's kind of looking over our shoulder or, you know, virtually kind of seeing if we're doing anything suspect on the computer. Ultimately looking for the boss's approval of us. 
And when we view God as an unapproachable boss, how do we function? We function as his employees. We serve hard. We work hard to try to gain the attention of God himself. So what do you do in a church context? We make sure we are checking off those check boxes every single week. We, we pray a certain amount of times. We attend church on a weekly basis. We serve in ministry teams. We tithe on a weekly basis. We volunteer at outreach events. And hear me, those are some of the most best things that you can do as a believer. But if you're just doing it for the sake of a checklist, and if you're doing it for the sake of uh, trying to obtain God's approval, well, what does that do? It makes you prideful, it makes you boastful, and even makes you bitter. Why? Because you're doing things to just get things. And if you realize that, if that's your framework and you live accordingly to that, the realization is you will never get there. So that makes you bitter, it makes you tired. Ever consider in the church why some of the most angry and most self-righteous people, right, are within the church? It's because they're religious at the heart. But what does the narrative of Lydia tell us right now? This is you right now, and you're saying, maybe, I feel you, Brian, there's a little bit of self-righteousness in me. I feel you, there's a little bit of religiosity in me, and I think I'm doing things just to get things rather than get God for himself. What the narrative of Lydia tells us is that the gospel can melt religious, prideful, self-righteous people into a more loving, humble, and authentic people. Look at Lydia. What does verse 16 tell us? It tells us that someone of the highest status is now willing to lower herself to a radical hospitality. That in her open-hearted generosity, Lydia is now demonstrating the reality of her conversion. That's why now all of a sudden one of status says, no, uh, uh, Paul, Silas, I want you to come to my house. I want us to gather together. Let's, let's have a meal and celebrate our risen Savior. See, the gospel reminds us that we're already accepted rather than earning acceptance. And when you're accepted, What does that mean? When you are accepted and you believe you are righteous in the eyes of God because of Jesus Christ, what that would do is you would want others to experience the same type of acceptance. Just as Lydia heard and experienced the beauty of the gospel, beloved, you and I, we have this opportunity right now. We have an opportunity right now not only to experience this beauty for ourselves as so many of us right now need to be reminded uh, of the gospel for our own religious self-righteous tendencies, but also to minister to others to know that the gospel can soften the hearts of the most religious and most prideful people. And this church will always have that. And there are people always coming in for that. The question I have for us in light of mission is how will we respond accordingly to the gospel that has shaped us? Secondly, amen. I'm, 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 I'm with you guys. Amen. The little, the little ones are tracking with me. Let's continue in our passage. Read verse 16 with me. Once we were going to the place of prayer, 
we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. Now Luke pivots in this narrative, and now we're introduced to someone who is completely different from Lydia. In fact, this woman, she doesn't even have a name. She's identified as a female slave who had a spirit. This woman, opposite of Lydia, is in control of nothing. She was a slave. So yeah, she might have earned a couple of dollars, but it belonged to someone else. On top of that, what does Luke say? He mentions that she had a spirit that predicted the future and was a fortune teller, meaning she was demon-possessed. And to summarize this, she was an outcast of society. And what does the female safe begin to do, right? Uh, in, in the passage, it tells us that what she does is she begins to follow Paul and Silas. And it says literally for days. She's hounding them. She's shouting at them. She's ultimately persecuting them and disrupting their ministry work in Philippi. So what does the passage tell us is that as they're on this mission field and as they're kind of doing this for days, trying to uh, witness and trying to evangelize and preaching God's very word, well, in this process, Paul and Silas, they kind of get tired of it and it says that in the name of Jesus, uh, he commands the spirit to leave her. In other words, because of the power of the gospel through the apostle Paul and Silas, she is now freed not only from demonic spirits, but ultimately through the power of the gospel, through the apostle Paul and Silas, she would be given a brand new identity. Once an outsider of society, and now she's an insider of society. She was once enslaved, and now she is set free. And just as the gospel has, to melt, has the power to melt Lydia's religious approach to who God is, the gospel can now bring a whole new acceptance, identity to the ones who are outcasted. Just as so many of us in this room right now, you can probably identify yourself as a Lydia. Maybe you can identify yourself as someone that's religious. At the same time, some of us in this room right now, you can identify yourself as the female slave, someone that has no identity because you've always tried to find your identity and your acceptance in every other thing outside of God. Maybe it's for some of us, you've tried to find your identity and success. So now you're enslaved to that job that you're at right now. Maybe for some of us right now, you're trying to find your identity and love. So now you're slaving yourself to these relationships. Maybe for some of us right now, you're identifying yourself in physical beauty. So now you're slaving yourselves just to be attracted by someone else. But beloved, what do we see and what do we know about what life is right now? If you've experienced any type of life, is that it always causes this level of enslavement. You're always working for it and you're overworking for it and you're tired and you're fatigued and you're getting a little hopeless. You're in that you're actually really losing your identity 
because you're always trying to find your worth, your value, your identity and acceptance into something that is always fleeting and something that can never be fully grasped. But look at the gospel. Would you consider what the gospel is right now and why the gospel is so much more beautiful than any other worldly possession? Is that the gospel actually gives you a greater identity. In the gospel, you don't have to save yourself to receive approval from worldly success and status because it's in Jesus Christ and his love for you, you are already approved. If Jesus came for the female slave, if she came for the irreligious, if she came for the licentious, if she came for the outcasted, if she came for the one who indulges in the world, well, beloved, he most certainly came for you and I, no matter how unworthy and how dishonored we may feel right now. Because of Jesus, know that you are more loved than you could ever imagine. And in Jesus Christ, you are already accepted. And if you believe this in any shape or form right now, what that should do right now is that it should transform you and I, and it should transform this community of believers, right? They should shape us right now. If we believe that we were once outcasted and we were once lost, then our heart disposition to all of our neighbors and our communities and our cities is to reach towards the outcast and the lost. See, if you look at this passage, uh, it's interesting where scholars have often debated on the status of the slave girl after this exorcism, right? Some, are, some uh, commentators and some scholars note that, oh, you know, she probably came to Jesus after this, you know, after this exorcism. But there's another camp. They say, well, I don't know if that's necessarily the case because there's really no proof of it. Now, for me, uh, for me, Luke actually doesn't give us enough information about what happens afterwards. That's just for me. You know, all I see is that, you know, we're informed of the fact that she experienced the, the benefits of gospel ministry. But the reason why I say that is that this is kind of like my point, is that this is what makes the gospel so beautiful. That at the core of it, at the base core level, the foundation of who you are as a believer no matter what the outcome is, you should always have a desire to reach the lost and to seek the poor and to find to all those who are broken and to deliver a gospel message through both word and deed. That is what makes the gospel so beautiful, that the gospel should be a demonstration to the city. The gospel should be a demonstration of what it really means to love our neighbors. The gospel should empower us to give radically, to give generously to the poor to the point that it hurts. The gospel should convict us to, and to pursue justice in an unjust, fallen, and broken world simply because we were once outcasted and now we are accepted. So what do we do when we look outside and not in as we seek that salvation for every single man and woman and child that is not in Jesus? See, just as the slave woman, she experienced the power of the gospel. Friends, in what ways will, we'll be, will we be a church for the broken? 
In what ways can we be a church for the oppressed? In what ways can we be a church for the outcasted? Because to the degree you believe you were once an outcast, to the degree you believe that you were once alienated from God's presence, is to the degree that you will seek out the lost, the oppressed, and the lost to truly know the power and the beauty of the gospel. This leads us to our final narrative, if you will. Look at verse 23 and 24 with me. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was committed to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Fast forwarding in some of these verses, Paul and Silas, they're now in prison after being unjustly assaulted. They're being accused. They're being persecuted for their faith, primarily because they, you know, they, they freed the slave woman from the spirits. And now the slave owners, they're really upset because now they're losing money. Now it's kind of tapping into their business uh, model. So now they're frustrated. They accuse them. And now they're now Paul and Silas, because of what they did, now they're in prison. And now, as they're in prison, we are introduced to this third person of the narrative, who is the jailer. Now, what do we know about the jailer? Well, jailer in Roman times, they were often formerly highly decorated Roman soldiers. And as a gift of retirement, these, these, uh, this, 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 this role that they have are often given to, you know, the, the, these guys, the jailers, right? In other words, right, this jailer, he's in this position because of what he has done in his entire life and in his career, right? In other words, he was probably really successful. In other words, he probably did a really good job as a Roman soldier. He was probably very, very hardworking, um, you know, verses 31 through 34 talks about his family and like how he really loved his family and how his family ultimately loved him. So he probably had a really big house filled with a lot of kids, right? This job was given to him uh, as a jailer. So, hey, man, he probably retired a little bit early. He probably had a really sick pension plan, right? He, he was doing all right. He was good. Early retirement. Oh, how we pray for that. <laughs> but what happens? Well, look at verse 26. Verse 26 says that there was an earthquake and the earthquake unraveled all the chains of the prisoners and they were loose and the prison doors were wide open. So when the jailer saw this, when this earthquake happened, yeah, I know it's about to go down. <laughs> what does he, how does he respond? He was about to go kill himself. Now, you're kind of wondering, why, why would he do such a thing? The reason is this, is during these times, it was law that if you were a guard and if the prisoner escaped, then it would be the jailer that would actually be uh, executed, right? That's why he wanted to kill himself because when this earthquake happened, he saw the freedom that uh, um, all the prisoners had. Well, he's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be the one that's executed because I couldn't do my job. So this jailer, he couldn't bear the shame. He didn't want to experience the dishonor. In other words, after all the years of 
building his life, after all the years of building his success and having all of the credentials of this world where the world would say, job well done, and on this earthquake and in this moment, his entire life unraveled. It only took an earthquake to make him question the existence of his entire life to the point where he wanted to end it. All that he worked for, all of the investment, and now it's all in shambles. Well, in the same way, sometimes in the reality of this life, it only takes an earthquake. Sometimes it's in this life, it only takes a circumstance to really make you question on what ground you actually stand on. And it makes you question, well, what do I believe in? Before this jailer, consider this earthquake. It unraveled him. It shaken him, to the, even to the point of death. But what happens is that ultimately will lead him to an everlasting life. Look at verse 28. As the jailer, he's about to draw his sword, as he's about to commit suicide. The apostle Paul, what does he shout to the jailer? He says, don't harm yourself. We're all here. In other words, I know that if we leave this cell, you're gonna be executed. But brother, it's the reason why we're not going to leave this prison. How does the jailer respond to this? Utter disbelief. Utter disbelief that Paul and Silas, they had a chance for freedom from an injustice. They deserve the freedom. But what do Paul and Silas do? is they stay, and not only do they stay, they make sure that all the other prisoners stay as well. Just so that this jailer, just so that this Roman soldier would have his life spared and beloved. Just as Paul and Silas' act saved the jailer through an earthquake, you and I, we can be assured of God's faithfulness through any earthquake, for we have a greater Paul and Silas today. Paul and Silas, they risked their freedom for the jailer's life when Jesus Christ, he fully gave up his freedom for ours. Paul and Silas, they helped remove the evil spirit of the slave woman because they were disturbed during their mission. But it was Jesus Christ who paid for the penalty of sin because Jesus was fully on mission with no disruptions, no disturbances. He had a mission and the mission was for us. Paul and Silas, they received hospitality after they were, they were helped convert Lydia into the gospel. But Jesus Christ, he had no hospitality. He was left abandoned, forsaken, so that we would never be forsaken. Yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ, he left his home with the Father. He became man to live the life that we were meant to live and we couldn't live. And he experienced the ultimate earthquake on the cross so that you and I would be set free from the very sting of death. Maybe right now, if you're in this room, maybe you're on the live stream and you're listening for the first time, maybe 
what brought you here to this moment was an earthquake. Or maybe right now, the reality is you're still recovering from an earthquake. You're trying to figure it out. You're asking, well, where does my help and where does my hope come from? The only thing I'm encouraging and I'm exhorting all of us to consider is the sweet sound of the gospel, to consider the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Because to the degree that you believe Jesus Christ, the Son of God, endured the greatest earthquake on the cross for you, is to the degree that you and I, as a church, as a ministry, as a community, are going to seek others to help them in their earthquakes, to help them in their brokenness, to help them in their season, in their life uh, realities of what it means to be an outcast. You would draw near to them and you would seek them to hope for an everlasting life through the gospel. That is what we see in Acts 16. Acts chapter 16, what do we see? Paul and Silas walking on this journey in Philippi on mission together. And beloved, we have an opportunity right now to do the very same thing. Let it be in East Falls or let it be starting in next week in Cherry Hill. You and I, we, we, we're going to continue on this journey. We're going to continue to be on mission and we're going to make sure that this gospel is for everyone, that everyone, including you and I. So as we consider what the gospel is for you and I, we remember everyone. It, remember, it, makes, it makes us remember that at the end of it, we remember Remember all that we remember the drug addicts, we consider the burnt out ministry workers, we consider the prostitutes, we consider the broken family in the suburbs, we consider the broken family in the hood, we consider the rich, we consider the Lydia's, we consider the ones that are nameless, we consider the ones who are suffering through earthquakes. So let's remember this truth that just as God invited us to his household, we would do the same because of Jesus. Would you join me in prayer?